Despite the fact that I am frightened of almost everything, I study thrill-seeking. But I study what's different about people who love that thrilling environment, bungee jumpers, race car drivers, and what makes their personality different. Today on 2036, the podcast, we'll be hearing from Dr. Kenneth Carter, a board-certified clinical psychologist and professor of psychology at Oxford College of Emory University. He's also an accomplished author and speaker, and his current research focuses on the psychology of thrill-seeking. I'm Munir McJohnny, president of the Emory University Alumni Board, and I'll be your guide for this conversation. Let's get started. A graduate of Oxford College and Emory University, Dr. Ken Carter is a Charles Howard Candler Professor of Psychology, where he teaches introductory courses in psychology, as well as advanced courses in clinical psychopharmacology, research methods, and personality. He is the designer and instructor of a course on the psychology of thrill-seeking. Dr. Carter has published extensively in both academic and lay publications, actively engaging in translation of research and psychology into everyday language. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you took some of those classes. <laughs> I did. I was going to say your greatest claim to fame, which for some reason is missing in your bio, is that I was a student of yours <laughs> about 10 years ago. I'm not sure how they missed that in their research. I have no idea. So you were also a student at Oxford. Yes. Which is some very full circle moment here of going from a student, running around on campus, doing all sorts of shenanigans, right, to now being a professor. Yeah. Talk a little bit about kind of that journey and the biggest changes that you've seen at Oxford since then as well. It's really been incredible. I remember the very first time I ever visited the campus was I was on the debate team and we did a debate event on the Atlanta campus, but I hadn't heard of Oxford at the time. And, but when I learned about it from one of the college counselors and I came to visit, I knew that was the place for me. It was a small community faculty interaction like I couldn't believe. And I'm a first-generation college student, and mm. so I wasn't really sure how to navigate college, and I felt like that experience of being connected with the faculty was exactly what I needed to help me flourish. And then went on to Emory College, graduated University of Michigan for grad school. First job out of grad school was actually at the CDC as a disease oh, wow. detective. Yeah, But I really missed that connection with students and faculty, so when a job came available, at Oxford, I took it, and it's been amazing ever since. And I feel like what's helped me to flourish as a faculty member mm. is the same connection with the faculty and students that was the thing that got me excited about being at Oxford in the first place. The thing that's changed are the access to the resources to help people flourish. And I think before we were figuring out what was gonna be best for people, but now we've studied ourselves. I feel like we know how to connect with students, how to connect them with the world, how to connect them with that liberal arts experience that's helped us all. It's been amazing. So it's really funny being an Oxford alum myself. So often students say it just felt like the right place, right? It was just this emotion. You step onto campus and you don't really know what it is. It's not the buildings. It's not the aggressive squirrels, right? It's just <laughs> something about it yeah. that just says you're home, you know? Yeah. And, and, and again, both of us, right? First generation students kind of going to something and, and that feeling is really there for a lot of people. So along with that feeling, right? Often when folks start anything new, especially going to college, there's a lot of fear built into that. And that's something that you've studied extensively. So tell us a little bit about what is the psychology of thrill seeking 
And what are some things that maybe our audience members can take away today as well? Yeah. You know, despite the fact that I am frightened of almost everything, I study thrill seeking. And so I don't like driving fast. I know you talked about how fast you drive in your car, roller coasters, but I study what's different about people who love that thrilling environment, bungee jumpers, race car drivers, and what makes their personality different, even though I'm not one of those whatsoever. And one of the things I feel like I've, I've discovered from that is we're all sort of seeking that sense of awe, that mm. sort of eye-opening, you know, sensory experience. And thrill seekers and chill seekers like myself get that awe differently. But it's really helped to remind me that what a person does isn't their whole personality. Their personality is sort of underneath there, sort of driving those decisions. So was it a grass is greener type thing that encouraged you to study this? I just wanted to figure out why they were doing that. <laughs> and so you were saying before how you drive fast and dart in and out of traffic and you don't realize sometimes that your uh, passengers are terrified. I wondered why those people were darting in and out of traffic mm. and what what made them tolerate that, what, what seemed to me like a terrifying experience. And what I discovered was their personalities were different and their physiological response to those highly chaotic environments and they were really chill in those environments. And so it's been a really fascinating thing to study. So, you know, the great debate in psychology, right? Nature versus nurture. What do you attest this to? Uh, both. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of, of thrill-seeking is biological. There's some physiological differences. But we also know there's some environmental things that can drive thrill-seeking as well. Early chaotic experiences, you tend to see more thrill-seekers in those individuals. But I think... I don't know if you can take someone like me and turn them into a race car driver. Got it. And that was going to be my next question, right? So, you know, historically, you look at kind of list of fears, public speaking, you know, what you're doing here today, right? And just fine. And then you get like spiders and then death. So people who are wanting to be more thrill seeking, right? They're tired of COVID and living in their homes. They want to go out and do something crazy, but they're not built for that. They weren't born for that. Is there a way that someone can transition? Maybe not into a race car driver, but something yeah. more? I think a lot of people think about thrill-seeking in that thrill and adventure-seeking, those dangerous things. But a part of thrill-seeking is also experience-seeking, where people are looking for different kinds of experiences. And that's th sensation-seeking of the mind and of the senses, whether it's unusual food or uh, travel or sort of meeting unusual people. That's my highest mm. score in thrill-seeking. So when I want to sort of push my boundaries a little bit, I'm not going to, you know, bungee jump, but I may try a food that I am not that familiar with. And so in your book, Buzz, which came out in 2019, you talked about a few categories, which you just touched on as well. Can you talk a little bit more about those? Yeah, yeah. There are four different categories. There's thrill and adventure seeking. That's the bungee jumping, race car driving kind of thrill seeking. Then there's experience seeking. That's sensations of the mind and the senses, food, travel, those kinds of things. And then the last two tell me how much trouble you might get yourself mm. into as a thrill seeker. And one of them is disinhibition, your ability to sort of look before you leap. And the other one is boredom susceptibility, how easy it is for you to get bored and how irritated and grumpy you get when you get bored. I score low on all of them. And so I'm a person that can, that can sit in an empty room and I'm fine for hours. Other people start, you know, need that entertainment in just about 10 seconds. <laughs> I think we've got to make some trips to Beaufort Highway and try some <laughs> unique foods at least. We'll, we'll take it a step-by-step -step yeah, approach. Yeah, I'm, I'm there for it. Yeah. So how does your research and thrill-seeking kind of really inform the way that you show up for your students on a regular basis as well? 
You know, one of the things I've sort of discovered from teaching introductory psychology, we teach a lot of those fundamental courses at Oxford, is to help students understand them in context. So there's one thing about running through all the different kinds of personality theories and sort of comparing them. And the other is sort of showing someone like uh, Faith Dickey, who calls herself Slackline Girl, and about why she balances on the slackline and how we can sort of understand that in context. And so getting students to sort of see their world in context and then use research to sort of understand and the theories to understand is sort of what it's all about. And so everyone wants to sort of understand each other a little bit better and yeah. also helps them understand themselves. Especially today, I think it's so important for us to be able to understand individuals in every aspect, right? Not just in politics, but how you show up, what you eat, what you do, why I drive fast. Um, so I think it's definitely important work to be done there. Yeah. And to keep that curiosity open about that as well. Yeah. So speaking of your students, right, a big part of what you do is helping students navigate through college and figure out kind of their next big adventure. As we look towards 2036, right, what would you say is the next big adventure in your work and research and what's really going to excite you the most? Yeah, right now working on two different textbooks. And one of the things that's sort of different about these is I want to make sure they're inclusive and diverse and they come from the student's perspective. And so my students are helping me sort of craft these textbooks to be coming from their perspective. And so that's something that before when I thought I'd write a book, it would be just me. Now I want to partner with my students to make sure the book is inclusive for the things that they see in the world. I love that you're including your students. It just makes so much sense to do that, right? They're the end users at the end of the day anyways. What is the picture for 2036 of the psychology department as a whole? Yeah, so, I, so being at Oxford, I have an idea about where we'd like to go in psychology at Oxford. Um, to me, it's about improving the experiences with our students, those lab experiences, making sure that they can take psychology and apply it in a way that makes sense. And also to, to make sure that we recruit and retain faculty who can do, continue to do great work. So those are the first two things that are on my list. I know that we're thinking about some new faculty at Oxford, for example, in areas that we don't have them right now which I think will be really important looking for that future 15 years from now. What's the bigger picture that's going to move psychology as a whole? Who are the doctors and professors that we will be quoting 100 years from now? Yeah, so me and... Yes, uh, no, oh, of course. <laughs> that's an absolute given. Other than me, I think AI or artificial intelligence and computer computing-based models are really important right now. Neuroscience, for sure, understanding the brain in new and exciting ways that we didn't before. We have one faculty member at Oxford who's doing a lot of neuroscience research and, and so many students who are interested in neuroscience as well. Those are two areas for sure that I can see big growth areas in psychology, for sure. Neuroscience and, and artificial intelligence. So we'll end with one last quick question. How do you take culture into this thrill-seeking, right? So, you know, you interviewed me for your book, I Eat a Lot of Exotic Foods, but how do you kind of balance the culture into this of things that just are normal in one part of the world that may not be normal in another part of the world? Yeah, so one of the things I look at are people who are sort of, uh, who travel looking for different cultures to, to, to be part of that uh, experience-seeking for them. And so part of it is looking beyond your culture or beyond things that are un, that are familiar to you. And I think and, and sort of understanding that those are not unusual things, but they are just unusual to an individual's culture. A, a lot of the people that I interviewed who travel, for example, want to get immersed in culture and they don't want to do those hop on, hop off bus tours when they visit another place. What they want to do is sort of understand and feel what it would feel like to live there. 
and to sort of wrap themselves in cultures that are unfamiliar to them. So a lot of those thrill seekers do that kind of thing. So for individuals who want to find out more, either they're here or listening in onto the podcast, more about your work to take the test that I've taken multiple times, how can they get plugged in and kind of learn a little bit more as well? Yeah, yeah. You can find me on the uh, Emory website, or you can look at my own personal website, which is drkencarter.com, and you can take a thrill-seeking test there and find out where you where you sit on that. And I will say it is a very exciting test to take itself because it tells you a lot about yourself. Yeah, and you think about re- questions that you've never thought about before. Absolutely. Get a little report back. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for all of you who've joined us here in the present and all of you who are listening in at home as well. And make sure you check out the rest of the 2036 Dome Experiences and the other podcast as well before the night ends. Thank you, Dr. Carter, once again, for everything that you do for Oxford and Emory and for sharing your knowledge about thrill seeking with us today. Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We hope you've enjoyed our thrilling conversation with Kenneth Carter. You can find more stories from 2036 at 2036.emory.edu. That's 2036.emory.edu. This podcast was developed and produced in partnership with Ideas United and Emory's Division of Advancement and Alumni Engagement. This episode was edited by Ramsey Yunt and contains music by Cymatics and Denise. I am Anir McJohnny, President of the Emory Alumni Board.